Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to, uh, to West Bowl, especially our first-timers. I've met a lot of visitors this morning. Great to have you with us this morning. Or if it's your first time in a long time, man, welcome back. We're glad that you're here with us. Hope you had a great holiday week. Uh, it's the Holy Thanksgiving Trinity, football, food, family. Hope you enjoyed all three of those things, maybe some more than others. Uh, but uh, I hope that you had a great week just filled with things uh, and, and remembrances of all the stuff that we have to be thankful for. It was a great week. Uh, not looking forward to tomorrow morning, right? Waking Bailey up after a week off of school. Uh, won't be easy at 8 a.m. I know many of you will be in the same boat, so I hope you have a good morning tomorrow. Uh, speaking of some exciting things, not just tomorrow, but coming up here in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're entering into our Christmas series beginning next Sunday. So glad Rebecca mentioned Advent, kind of the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, looking forward to, with great expectation, the arrival of Christ. We're going to call it, Do You See What I See? It's going to be a four-week series, the first uh, three Sundays of the month, and culminating on Christmas Eve. I hope you join us uh, 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve for that as well. But it's going to be a neat series. Nathan and I are going to do some tag team preaching. We'll try our hand out at that, see how that goes. Put on kind of our Nacho Libre masks. Um, okay, five of you got that. So we're going, to, we're going to do some neat things, though. But we're going to be looking at and talking about the greatest moment in human history. Uh, the greatest birth in human history, the greatest message in all of history. And we hope that you will join us, and not just join us, but we've got some empty seats still in this auditorium. We want to fill those up. This is a time to bring somebody to this church uh, and share with them the hope, the love, the message of Christ. Folks are more open. I'm not sure why it is in December to joining you, uh, to humoring you with coming to church. So on your way out, we're going to have some new cards for you, uh, kind of broadcasting and explaining what that series is. Grab a few of those, spread them out with your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers this week. Help us get the word out and bring some people uh, to this place. Uh, my hope this morning is that the tryptophan has worn off enough. Uh, I need your attention. We've got a lot of cool things to do this morning. We're culminating our sacred series. Uh, we're probably most bummed by that because we're gonna be missing John's videos. Uh, we'll find a way to make sure that we still play those every once in a while. Uh, but we're going to summarize the things we've been studying the last couple of months, and then we're going to do something pretty neat that Nathan or that Ryan talked about before uh, and have several folks commit their life to Christ through baptism. So we're excited about that. I know several of you are here to, to watch your friends and your family be baptized, so I'll get out of the way here in just a few minutes. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive into our sacred text for the morning. God, thanks for a new day. Thanks for all that you have given to us. Thanks for a week where we get to think back and and be thankful, it's so easy to forget what we have, who we have, uh, the ways that you have provided for us. And so thank you for this past week, the people we got to be with, the food we got to enjoy, some of the time off maybe, Lord, that we got to experience. Thank you for all of that. And we thank you now for this morning, for an opportunity to come together, to be reminded of what is most important, to be reminded of who you are and really who we are in you. We come to hear a word from you. We come to see you. We come to be changed by you. Would you come through on all of those promises? Would you breathe your spirit now into this place? And would you speak to each and every one of us in a way that we can understand, in a way that will change us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew 16, let's jump right into it. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Still others, Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. At this point in his ministry, Jesus is kind of a big deal. Things are going well. 
Rumors of his miracles are spreading all over the region. People are sharing his message with their friends and their coworkers and their classmates. Huge crowds follow him everywhere he goes. He's kind of a big deal. His followers are growing, his disciples are believing, and his foes are plotting. Everybody, in one way or another, is talking about Jesus. And so in the midst of all of this, one night, Jesus turns to his closest friends, and he asks a pretty interesting question. Who do you say that I am? First, he asks, who do others say that I am? And that's a fascinating question, right? In the midst of all the hoopla, in the midst of all the talk, in the midst of all the buzz, Jesus basically asks, what's the word on the street about me? When I'm not around, what are people saying? To put it in language we understand, what are the hashtags people put with me? What are some of the posts that are out there with me? And Peter, as he always does, is the first to answer, well, some say hashtag Jeremiah, some say hashtag Old Testament prophet, some say hashtag, you know, John the Baptist back from the grave. That's a long one. And although he asks the question, and although the answers are pretty interesting, you should hear how people answer that question today. What was true in the first century is also true in the 21st century, isn't it? Everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. Everybody thinks they have Jesus nailed down. Your boss thinks Christ was some religious fanatic. Your aunt thinks he was a nice guy. Your best friend back home thinks he's a hippie who smoked pot a lot. Others think he's a fraud, had several secret marriages. Some people think he's a prophet, maybe a political activist. Everyone has an opinion and thinks they know who Jesus is, who Jesus was. And he asks the question, and the answers are interesting, but I don't think Jesus cares at all what others think. I don't think he's all that interested in the masses or the crowds at all. I I don't think he could care less about the New York Times article or Dan Brown's accusations or the new PhD theories. Jesus could care less about the opinions of the crowds. He cares most about the opinions of his companions. And so he says, yeah, 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 everybody always has an opinion of me. Some people call me a drunk, other people call me a glutton. All kinds of things are said about me. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? It's a question that forced the disciples off the fence. It's a question that forced and required the disciples to make a decision. It's a question that demanded the disciples come to terms with everything they had seen, everything they had heard. And I think when we read that same verse, that question is now asked of each and every one of us. He is asking you what you think. See, he's not asking your parents or your youth minister or your really cool, hip, attractive senior pastor. He's not asking us. He's not asking your spouse He's not asking your coworker. He's not asking any of them what they think. He's looking at you right in the eyes and he's saying, who do you think I am? What about you? Right here, right now. What about you? Kind of getting a little personal there, Jesus. Kind of pushing it a little bit, aren't you, Jesus? But I think he does that. I think he, he, he forces us to make a decision because he knows that the way you answer that question will in fact change the, the way you answer every question there forward. See, the way you answer that question will make all the difference in the world, let alone in the world to come. And so Jesus looks at you right in the face and he says, what about you? You've got to answer this question for yourself. Who do you say that I am? Jesus knows the only way to find yourself is to find him. The only way to discover who you are is to discover who he is. The only way to figure out your identity is to come to terms with his identity. Who you think he is 
ultimately shapes and determines who you are. Who you think he is ultimately shapes and determines who you will become. And so yeah, the question's a little personal. Yeah, the question's a little awkward, but the question opens up so many things. I was thinking just sitting there this morning about the weird questions you're asked at different times. Get a little personal here. Hope this is okay. Uh, right, when you're first dating somebody and you're kind of cuddling up to them, isn't there always the question, what are you thinking about right now? <laughs> right, you, you know that question, ladies. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, things have changed now. I like the silence. I like the generic. I like the cuddling, but who do you say that I am? What are you thinking about right now? You, right now, in this moment, Jesus asks, what do you think about me? I love how Paul says it in Ephesians 1. This is why the question is so important, because it's in Christ. We find out who we are and what we're living for. The Apostle John says it differently in John 1. He came to his own people. They didn't want him, but whoever did want him, whoever believed Jesus was who he claimed to be and would do what he said he would do, Jesus made them to be their true selves, their best selves. Who you think he is will ultimately shape and determine who you are. See, people today will do all kinds of things to find themselves, won't they? And I'm all in favor for some of these things. I mean, vacation getaways, self-help books, personality tests, life coaches, some strange combination of all of the above. But Jesus says, according to the one who made you, according to the one who wrote your owner's manual and put you together and put you on this earth, according to him, the way to find yourself is to find Jesus. The way to discover who you are is to figure out who he was. Now I know that Jesus lived a long time ago and sometimes his teachings and his sayings can seem a little outdated and out of touch. Sometimes it feels like church and Christianity are far removed from the real world, from our problems and the things that we care most about, but nothing could be further from the truth. When we know Christ, we actually know ourselves more fully. And so when we dismiss or reject Christ, we're actually dismissing and rejecting ourselves. That's why we come together every single Sunday. Sometimes when we don't want to, when it's freezing outside, we still come here because we want to learn more about Christ. Because you know that when we see him, somehow we'll see ourselves more clearly. When we see what he's all about, we'll see what our marriages should be all about. When we see what he was doing, we'll figure out what we should be doing on Monday morning. You see, when we see Jesus, we see us. We see the best version of us. So over the last several months, we have been studying the teachings of this man. We call it our Sacred Letters series. It was an in-depth look at the words spoken by Jesus Christ. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the only man who has overcome sin and defeated Satan. Two things of which I'm pretty powerless to do. And so that man has credibility in my eyes. I want to hear from that man. A man who's able to do things that no other man can do. I want to sit at that man's feet and learn from him. And so we have been the last couple of months... Jesus, we want to hear what you have to say. And we weren't able, obviously, in 13 weeks to cover all of the sayings of Jesus, but we did cover a lot. And I was trying to figure out a way to summarize this for you this morning, and I stumbled across a friend's blog, and he said it perfectly. He said the entirety of Jesus' teachings can be boiled down into something called the GC3. Now, that sounds like a military operation, maybe a bad boy band, the GC3, but it's not. This, I think, is the culmination of Jesus' teachings. It's three greats that define everything Christ said. The first is this, the great invitation. The first great we hear about and receive is found in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. In me you will find rest, not just for your body, but for your soul, for the core of who you are. This is an invitation to step out of the rat race and into God's rest. This is an invitation to stop trying to prove yourself to yourself or to others or even to God and just be yourself. Be okay with yourself. It's an invitation to take the burden of sin off of your shoulders and place it squarely on his shoulders. It's an invitation to stop trying to be good enough or smart enough or Christian enough and know that Jesus was enough. See, unlike all the religions, unlike the marketplace, unlike school, unlike the social ladder, they constantly demand more of you. Great, you did that, we'll do more. Great, you achieved that, we'll achieve more. It's constantly asking, constantly requiring, isn't it? Jesus says, enough. Come and sit and rest. And doesn't that invitation sound good? Even after a holiday week, maybe even especially after a holiday week, how many of you typically need a vacation after your vacation? It's like, man, this holiday week was crazy. I can't wait to go to work tomorrow to rest a little bit. But our lives are crazy. Even when we have downtime, it's not very down. And Jesus says, come to me. You need a rest. And I will provide it for you. But this isn't the first time, the only time Jesus gives this invitation. This invitation is found throughout all of his teachings. He begins with, repent for the kingdom of heaven of near. You know what this is? This is an invitation. An invitation to turn your life around, to throw a U-turn to make the necessary changes in your life to avoid the destruction of your life. It's an invitation to see God move in your life in ways you never have before. And then he says, come and follow me to his disciples. I'll make you fishers of men. Again, it's an invitation. It's an invitation into a life of great purpose where we trade in the mundane for all that matters. We focus on the eternal instead of the earthly. It's an invitation to come. From there we read that Jesus said to the woman at the well, come, drink from me, streams of living water, my Holy Spirit will not only fill you up, it will flow out of you and bring life to you, your family, and the world. It's an invitation to stop looking at material things to satisfy your immaterial core. Then he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Again, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to deal with your death so you can have life before death and life after death. The things that we're most afraid of, deathly afraid of, death, he says, let's deal with that so you never will have to deal with that. And then I love when Nathan a few months ago preached on the Nathaniel story when Jesus says, I saw you sitting there, Nathaniel. I think that's an invitation. It's an invitation for us to see beyond what we typically see, to look beyond our past, to look beyond uh, the judgments that others place on people to not judge and base others off of where they came from, what they've been through, or where they stand religiously. All of these, to me, are invitations. It's, it's a great invitation. An invitation to a peace-filled, joy-filled, life-filled, Christ-filled existence. And Jesus, in my opinion, is the only one to offer all of these things to you free of charge. So everybody else will say, you've got to earn these. You have to deserve these. You have to be good enough to get these and achieve these someday. Jesus says, false, I give these to you. I know you need the invitation. I know you're on the bottom of the list. You're actually on the waiting list, last one. The invitation's for you. I love you so much. I want to invite you into the life I intended for you. That's what makes it a great invitation, right? It includes so much and it comes free of charge. So the first GC is the great invitation. From there, after we've received that great, we are then given the second great, and it's the great commandments. 
Found in Matthew 22, it says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commands, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Someone comes up to Jesus and says, what's most important? What's the most important rule in the rule book? What's the one question going to be on the test? What does God really, really, really care about? And Jesus says, you know what? It's like two hooks you hang a picture on. The first is loving God with everything you have because he invited you, he calls you, he saved you, he freed you, he loved you. And the second is to love his people, to love his children. These two hooks is what you hang your life on. And when you have them just right, oh, that picture looks perfect and it's a beautiful life. If you just have one hook, the picture's kind of, ah. If you don't have any, you just walk around with the picture, it's kind of odd. Hang your life on these two hooks, loving God with everything because he invited you, and then love the Father by loving his children. It's a call to love. And it makes sense because we just received the great invitation of love. We just were filled with his love. And so now we're compelled, aren't we? It's like you receive that invitation, you receive great news, you receive a great thing. You got to share it. You got to do something with it. Hopefully the invitation has now infused you with so much excitement and life. You've got to do something. What's that something? Jesus says, well, love God and love others as an expression of your love for God. And I know at at times it's very hard to love God. We talked about those who face obstacles. There's pain. There's the obstacle of hypocritical people, the obstacle of your personal sin. I know that's so hard to love God and love others in those things, through those things. But again, I hope that the love of God is so intense in you, so complete in you, that you're compelled to love through those things, despite those things, no matter the cost. You see, Christ's love for us compels us to overcome things like disgust psychology, We talked about our tendency to stay away from sick things and sick people because we're afraid they're going to get us sick. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I flip it. I reverse the trend. Now my goodness, my holiness, my love flows out of you into them and helps them as opposed to hurts you. It's a fascinating call to love others. Christ's love compels us to drink a cup of suffering, Nathan taught us. It's a cup of sacrifice, of selflessness. Not so that we'll be filled up, right? We want a cold beverage, a nice goblet. Yeah, I love this cup. Sometimes Jesus' cup is sacrificial, includes suffering. And we drink that cup because we love God so much and because we love others so much. And when we drink that cup, somehow it doesn't fill us up, but it points them up. And so we drink the cup. Again, it's the command to love others. Christ's love compels us to step outside of our bubble. And so we spend a week praying for the persecuted church across the world because so many Christians love God so much that others want to hurt them. Others want to kill them. And so we said, God, they love you so much. We want to love them and help them to keep loving you. It's an amazing command, isn't it? But again, if you're struggling with the second command here or the the second great, it's probably because you haven't spent much time with the first one. If you're struggling to love God, not sure why you should love God, if you're struggling to love your friends, love your classmates, love your spouse, it's probably because you haven't spent much time with the invitation. Sit down for a while and read the invitation again. God loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to infuse you. He wants to use you, forgive you, redeem you. How many synonyms you want me to use? That's the great invitation. And when you truly see your name on it, Thomas, then I have to love. I want to love. I'm compelled to love. So the first is the great invitation. From there, we're given these two commandments. And then third and finally, we move into the great commission. Because the best way to love others is to share God with them, right? Love God, love others, help others come to love God. That's what the Great Commission is all about. We read about it in Matthew 28. It says this. 
Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the Lord of the earth. I have overcome death and sin and the consequences of both. Therefore now, disciples, those who follow me, go and make other disciples. See, God's on a mission. He's on a mission to find his lost things, rescue his lost children. So if you want to be with God, if you want to spend time with God, if you want to touch God, you have to join him on that mission. We know where he is. He's out there finding and seeking and saving the lost. And, and being on that mission will include doing so many things for other people, right? Serving them, blessing them, praying for them. But it will most certainly include sharing with them the good news of Christ. A disciple who wants to make other disciples will be able to share the good news of Jesus. The good news that there's forgiveness of our past, purpose in our present, hope for our future. The good news that all three relationships that went totally haywire at the beginning, your relationship with creation, your relationship with other people, and your relationship with God, they've all been redeemed. They've all been reconciled through Christ. The good news that though you were dead, though you were ugly, though you were abandoned, good for nothing, now you're alive, beautiful and perfect in Christ. That's good news. And the best way to love others is to share with them that news. So I think when we look at the sacred letters, it comes down to the GC3, the great invitation heard multiple times in multiple ways, the great commandments expressed multiple times in multiple ways, and the great commission, again, expressed multiple times in multiple ways. And when you live these three things out, when you embrace these three greats in your life, I think it results in the abundant life, the fullest life, the best life. Now, as we reflect back on all that he said, as we reflect back on the GC3, let's come full circle and go back to Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? See, the question that Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew 16 is now the question I think we all have to deal with. In life of the radical, life-changing, empire-destroying words of Jesus, in light of all that we've been taught, in light of all that's been revealed to us over the last three months, there's only one question left you've got to answer. What do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? When you see that man, who do you see? Because sometimes we can see somebody but not really see him. You know how that works? I stumbled across a website recently. It just totally fascinated me and, dr and drove this point home. It's uh, pictures of our servicemen and women and what they look like when they take the uniform off, who they really are. It's called the Veterans Art Project. Here's the first. Who do you see? when you see this man? Or how about this? Who do you see when you see her? Or there's this one. Who do you see when you see him? Or how about this? Who do you see when you see her? And then finally, what about this man? Who do you see? And I think this, this fascinating art project is now kind of put on our shoulders and, and put before us, who do you see when you look at Jesus? Who do you see? I love how C.S. Lewis explained it. Jesus is either a lunatic, right? He's claiming he's God. He's claiming that he knows God. He claims that he hears from God. And most people today who would claim all those things, guess what we do with them? We lock them up. Ever heard of padded rooms? Yeah, you're God. You hear from God. You know God. You're telling us all about God. Yeah, get away. We put you in a padded room. So maybe he's a lunatic. When you see Jesus, maybe you see a lunatic. Maybe when you see Jesus, you don't see a lunatic. He's not crazy, but he's just a liar. Maybe he's just cruel, spirited, a self-proclaimed religious leader. He's just an extremist, like a David Koresh type of figure. He just is power hungry and knows how to manipulate people and use the emotional roller coaster to get you to follow him. Maybe he's just a liar. 
So when you see Jesus, you see a liar. Your other option, really your only three options, are these. The third and final is Lord. Maybe when you see Jesus, you see your Lord. You see the one who made you, died for you, loves you, wants to be with you forever. Maybe when you see Jesus, you see the one telling you the truth. Maybe you see the one who explains heaven and hell and life and death. Maybe you see the one who will help make sense of everything in your life. It's really up to you to decide, who do you say that I am? Am I a liar? Am I a lunatic? Or am I your Lord? Again, I don't care what everybody else says. I don't care what they say. What do you say? And I don't know how to say this in any nicer terms, but those three greats, the great invitation, the great commands, the great commission, maybe a better way of saying it is finding rest for your soul, freeing yourself from a life of self-promotion, committing to bringing as many people into heaven with you as possible. Those benefits, those three great things, they only apply to you if you answer with Jesus is Lord. You can't be guilty by association. You can't, you can't get all the perks of being a card-carrying member if you don't personally believe and say that Jesus is my Lord. See, you either proclaim him as Lord or you act like he's a lunatic or a liar. You either believe him or you don't. You take him at his word or you don't. You let the lead letters, red letters shape you and guide you or you don't. The choice is up to you. So imagine yourself now sitting with Jesus. Everybody's got an opinion. You've heard lots of different theories as to who Jesus is, and he looks at you and he asks, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And what I'm excited about this morning is that we have a bunch of people sitting right over here by our little hot tub, and they are excited to proclaim publicly, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you're the Son of God. That's an incredible proclamation, isn't it? And they believe so much so, they're willing to unite themselves to Christ in this water. They're willing to say, I will participate, as Romans 8 tells us, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because I want to be so close to that man because he is my everything. Like Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God, the one who loves me, came to die for me. And they're going to proclaim that this morning. So I'm so excited for that. We've got all ages, everybody uh, on, on the scale, different life stages. It's going to be incredible to see them proclaim those things. Uh, we're going to sing a, a pretty powerful song. I want you to, to listen to the words of this song. Matt's going to lead us in that song here in just a minute. Uh, listen to the words of this song. And if you haven't proclaimed Jesus as Lord, maybe sing these words to this song this morning. But really, if you haven't proclaimed, if you haven't said personally, I believe you are the Messiah, then would you come find me after service? Come find one of the other staff members, one of the elders. We want to talk to you this morning about who you think Jesus is. It will make all the difference in your life. And if you have said that before, maybe this morning say it again. As they say it, say it with them. Join them in their proclamation. You can't ever say it enough. Jesus, you are my God. You're my Savior. Let me pray over us and over this time because uh, we want to offer God everything that we have and it starts with our heart, our life. And from there it flows into our love for others and even our sacrificial sharing of our stuff. So let me pray for these things. God, wow, you are an amazing God. There are so many words out there, God. So many people are talking, 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 talking. We can go on the internet and, and read a billion words right now if we want to with more being added daily. There are books galore. Our friends and family just talk, 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 talk. And so many of them, God, are truly saying contradictory things. So who do we believe? Where do we go for answers? Where do we base our life off of? We're all gonna listen to somebody or to something. Where, where should we go? Thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for his words, for your words, because we believe he gives us meaning and purpose and direction. We believe his words give us life. Thank you for the words of invitation that you have given to us throughout all of scripture, inviting us into a better life, a new life, a life that's not so focused on stuff or success or sex, but a life that's focused on love and service. Thank you for the great commands that, that we now can, can base our life off of two simple commands. We don't have to worry whether or not we're living out our purpose. We just get to love you and love the people around you. And as we're doing that, we know we're doing what we were created to do. And help us, God, to be bold. We thank you for your good news, for the words you shared with us. We thank you for the first time we heard those words and when we have the power and the boldness and the courage to share those words with others. Would we be great invitation people? Would we be great commandment people? Would we be great commission people? Please make it so. Thank you so much for the faith and the moment right now of these three, or these, uh, these eight, God, who are about to express their faith to you in baptism. Thank you for the opportunity to connect ourselves to you in a really powerful, symbolic, life-transforming way. Thank you that they are willing to stand up and to say, I believe you are my God and you are my Savior. Thank you so much for them. Would we surround them and encourage them in their faith as they take steps uh, forward? Thank you, God, again, for all that you've done. Thank you for your words. We pray now that we would, as Peter said, proclaim you as Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ushers, come on forward and take uh, offering at this point. Again, listen to the words of this song. Offer your hearts and your lords to Jesus and help offer some of your resources to help others.